you have to be confident enough to not be the smartest person in the room. I think oftentimes um, there's a societal pressure to be the smartest person in the room, right? Some of that, uh, that imposter syndrome of, you know, hey, if, I, if I've got a lot of smart people around me, I'm not going to be able to lead them. Or, you know, it'll get out that, you know, I'm not as actually as qualified as I think I am. But at the end of the day, right, I, I don't really think that I'm the smartest person in the room most of the time or definitely not the most qualified. Um, but I'm able to, to get in there, um, you know, to, to build relationships and to, you know, essentially glean um, from the expertise of those, those people around me, right? This is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's grown several startups into seven and eight-figure businesses, as well as the founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where he helps startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. If you ever need help with yours, just go to strategymeeting.com and are always here to help. Now, today we have another great guest on the podcast, Joseph Prosowski. Close as I can get it. And uh, Joseph, he grew up in uh, Lehigh, Utah, and uh, or kind of grew up watching uh, at least what uh, people in, in Utah know as Silicon Slopes, kind of Utah's version of Silicon Valley, and uh, has a lot of uh, business and whatnot growing there. And then uh, he went, or after graduating high school, served in LDS mission, and uh, and, start, and then uh, started watching the import-export business with China for a while while I was in school and realized uh, had more learning to do. So he decided as he was doing all that, he went and interned with Adobe, I think a venture capital firm, learned a lot about funding, um, also interned with a banking firm, learned about a lot about the stages of money, um, and somewhere along the line did a, a worked for a hedge fund, I think after graduation, being correct me if I'm wrong, and then jumped over to private equity firm uh, for a period of time, I think finding, buying funeral homes and crematories, if I remember right, um, and then started working on his own portfolio, portfolio company, and that uh, then also started working on a company that's called Braghouse, and uh, then he uh, or led, uh, led him to join the team as, uh, I think, the CEF, CFO of Braghouse, and I've uh, been doing that ever since, so with that much as an introduction, welcome on the podcast, Joseph. Yeah, thanks for having me, Devin. Appreciate it. Absolutely. So I just took a much longer journey and condensed it into 30 seconds. So now unpacking that just a bit, um, tell us a little bit about how your journey got started uh, growing up in Lehigh and uh, how, how, how things went from there. Yeah, great. Well, like you said, yeah, I uh, grew up watching Silicon Slopes kind of blossom and grow, um, you know, was very impressed, right? Watched people like Josh James grow Domo into the business and company that it is today. You know, Omniture, uh, Exactware, you know, all of those businesses that you you pass on your way to Provo these days, um, you know, watched those grow. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and as I started school, like you said, definitely, you know, became very passionate about the entrepreneurship space to the point where, you know, I started my own business my freshman year in college. Uh, you know, really enjoyed the journey, loved it but quickly realized that I wasn't as much of a a marketer or a social media manager as I was much more of kind of a strategist and a a financier. Um, So that, that was what kind of took me down the road to, to venture capital, right. Kind of realized from running my own business and then from working um, as a junior analyst up at Epic Ventures in Salt Lake city that, you know, money has a, a very large part to play um, in the early stages of business um, and, and, and really is applicable at any stage in the life cycle, right? If you 
you don't have funding, you can't make payroll, you can't develop your product and you ultimately can't succeed. So definitely learned a lot there. And then, you know, kind of took my love for finance just a little bit farther, uh, you know, worked in investment banking at Crew Capital, you know, was able to see five or six transactions go on there and just definitely realized that, you know, again, uh, the, the transaction financial aspect of, um, of, of a founder's journey and a founder's life cycle is, uh, is super critical. And, you know, even more than that, learned that having the right advisors around you um, at kind of that end stage um, is, is super important, right? So yeah, after graduation kind of fell into a role in a, in a hedge fund and, you know, did, did the public equities thing for a while, but, um, but, but really felt that, you know, I'd lost touch with the founders, um, you know, something that I loved, you know, working in venture and investment banking was getting to interact with founders, with leadership and, and really feel that energy and kind of that, that founder passion. Right. Um, and so, yeah, like you said, got back into kind of the little bit of a smaller space around, you know, private equity. We were, you know, we were, uh, running a roll up strategy, right. We rolled up 20 or 30 businesses across. Um, let me just dive real quick into that. So, yeah, because, you know, you were working in venture capital, enjoying it. And I think it kind of shifted a bit into banking, but you know, what was that tipping point or what was that motivation or saying, Hey, I'd like to transition a bit away from my current company and try the new role. Was it, you know, you touched on it briefly, but was it, Hey, I'm worn out with that, or I'm looking for a new adventure, or this isn't really what it's cracked up to be, or kind of give us a bit more insight as to what prompted that, that shift or that, uh, that change for you. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, I think that when you talk about finance, right, the, the dream is kind of to work on Wall Street, to be in New York, you know, the hustle and bustle, the city that never sleeps, right? And, you know, I had some of that experience and it was really fun, um, you know, but with that comes late nights, a lot of pressure. Um, you know, when, when I was working at the hedge fund, we were managing over a billion dollars um, in March of 2020, mm. right? So, when you had that, uh, you know, that pandemic crash in the stock market, right? You know, you listen to the, you know, other analysts talk about it and, and that was kind of a once in a lifetime crash, right? That, that was classified as, you know, in, in the realm of being a black swan event, right? One in like 500,000 or something like that. Um, you know, and that, that was a rough time to be, uh, to be managing public equities, right? And so, you know, that, that kind of all combined with the fact that, you know, yeah, I was talking to other fund managers and to, you know, business leaders and things like that. But it, at the end of the day, right, it was kind of, uh, I'd rather be talking to, you know, I'd rather be talking to people who are really passionate about what they're doing, instead of talking to, you know, wealthy, limited partners and investors who just want to know, you know, why they're not doing better in the stock market. So yeah, at the end of the day, I'd rather, um, you know, I'd rather help someone achieve their dreams and achieve their journey uh, than just, you know, make someone whose life is already fairly cushy, even more cushy. <laughs> no, it definitely makes sense now. So as you're kind of having that realization saying, I want to make that shift and transition, was it, how did you kind of go, get to where you're buying crematories and mortuariums and, you know, or, you know, um, and doing that kind of business? Was it more of the type of business where you got to kind of work more with the business owners or saying, I'd love to do crematories and that's where my passion is or kind of, how did you get into that? 
Yeah. So I guess with, you know, the reason for leaving, um, you know, high finance, um, I, I, I was again, looking back towards that kind of entrepreneurial mindset. Right. And so Clearstone was a, was a firm that was actually founded in the beginning of 2020, right around the January, 2020 time. Um, and the founder was a guy who came out of a, you know, pretty large growth equity firm um, in San Diego, California. And so, you know, to me, um, I looked at him and said, you know, if, if this guy's willing to kind of, you know, jump in and take a plunge, um, you know, he had invested during his time um, at Lead Edge Capital, he had invested in, you know, many different tech companies across um, Utah, um, kind of the Western seaboard, right? And so I said, you know, this guy's an entrepreneur, right? He's out there hustling and, you know, that's kind of what I want to get back into. And so why wouldn't I go work for one? So, you know, we got together and, you know, we we hustled again, had some really late nights and stuff. But at the end of the day, right, we were buying these businesses from people who um, who had really interesting stories, right? You know, it was, hey, you know, my grandfather, you know, my great-great-grandfather um, started this funeral home and crematory or, hey, you know, uh, you know, my uncle bought this crematory and kind of turned it around and kept it going. And, you know, death can be viewed as kind of a, a taboo industry or not, not a very happy industry to be in. But at the end of the day, you know, these business owners are people who are passionate about making sure that people's end of life um, is memorable um, and beautiful. And so, you know, to be buying those businesses and, you know, carrying on that legacy was something that, uh, you know, was much more heartfelt to me than uh you know, trading blue chip stocks every day. Mm, no, I, I think that definitely makes sense. And, you know, I'm, I certainly am a, I get, you know, love uh, a lover of entrepreneurs and startups and small businesses. So definitely right there with you. So now you make that transition over, you say, okay, you know, this is kind of more in line with what I'm passionate about, what I enjoy, get a role of the businesses, kind of get a, you know, help them out a lot of times. And so you're doing all that. Now, you know, you're, you're working with that. And I, think at some point that's where Braghouse came in or you got connected up with them through that job or something of that nature, but fill us in with a little bit of how you kind of got uh, connected up with them and how you made that transition. Yeah, you bet. So, you know, like you mentioned in my intro, um, I, I did spend some time as a product manager. Um, you know, I spent about six months interning as a product project management associate um, at Workfront, um, which is now an Adobe company. Um and, you know, I really did develop a passion for technology, right? So, you know, you kind of look at, you know, what's popular these days, right? People, people are all about TMT and healthcare, right? Technology, media, telecom, and healthcare. Um, and so I kind of went the technology path, uh, right? So, you know, did some time in product management. Epic Ventures is primarily a, you know, a technology firm. Um, you know, was able to work on a bunch of different technology transactions, you know, of course, as a, an equity analyst, right, you're, you're working with a lot of technology companies just because there's so much growth around them right now. So, you know, I definitely have a background and a passion as well for technology. And so, you know, in addition to kind of the technology or sorry, the crematory and um, uh, funeral home space, uh, you know, was able to work on two or three deals in the technology space, right, worked on a you know, a, a healthcare SaaS company worked on a um, an ed tech company, right? Had some fascinating deals, and then kind of brought Braghouse in. Um, Braghouse is actually one of my first deals um, that I brought into the firm. Um, you know, and started working with the firm there, right? Joined the board of uh, directors, um, 
And, you know, it was kind of a very opportune time for me because the company kind of just took off um, right as I joined the board of directors. And so, you know, they were looking to raise kind of a, you know, a, a seed round of funding, right. With my background and connections was able to, you know, very quickly put them in contact with people, you know, walk them through the, the process itself. Right. We, you know, we went through Y Combinator interviews together, you know, we spoke with many, many different venture firms, um, you know, and was eventually able to help secure both a seed and series A round of funding for this company. And so, you know, of course, with, um, with that, you know, they, they definitely needed some type of financial management. Um, and so, you know, was able to join the company as the, the CFO last uh, October. Now, one question kind of getting into that is what made you de- or decide to, you know, join full-time in the sense you had another job, you've been doing it for a while. It sounded like it was a bit more in line with what you were wanting and you got to work with, you know, different businesses and roll them up and, you know, be introduced. What made you decide, hey, while that's all available and I enjoy doing it, I'm going to jump over and, and you know, or pursue brag house full time. Yeah, I, I think there's there's really two routes you can look at um, when when you're in private equity, right? You can either kind of stay on and double down, right? You know, a lot of people in private equity really value the carried interest that comes, right? So you get paid your salary, and then you're almost able to take on you know a few shares of each company that you work on. Um, and that can be really valuable for a lot of people, right? You know, if you had some carried inter- carried um, some carry in Zoom or you know some of those larger tech investments, that can be very lucrative. Um, but in a lot of cases, you know, that's a six to seven year payout time, right? So when you double down on that structure, you're you're doubling down on <laughs> your time as well because you have to finish those seven years to reap all that carry. Um, so that was the first thing was that, you know, I, I was kind of at a fork in the road around, you know, do I pursue kind of the, you know, the manager's, you know, VP route, or do I go find something else? And then the other thing I would say is that, you know, I think I wanted to prove to myself that I could actually go out and do it, right? Like, at the end of the day, you know, I would say that, you know, having, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, and I would say that the best investors are the ones who have that founder empathy, nowadays, right? You know, when you, you're essentially marketing money, right? You know, you're selling money to people. And so to me, it's like, that seems like a great thing to sell. Most people want or want money. Yeah. Money can be a great thing to sell. And I think most people can want it, but you know, when it comes to venture capital, there's a reason people coined the term vulture capital, right? Because a lot of times, yeah, they'll give you um, their money, but, you know, they'll take it with a pound of flesh, um, on the flip side of that. And so to me, it was like, you know, the, the best investors that I followed in the industry were always ones who had that founder empathy, right? They are the ones who can say, you know, Hey, I've been there in the trenches. I've been where you're at. And, you know, the value, um, that I provide is not only in the money I provide you, but the, you know, the experience and the, the ability to be used as a sounding board, right? Because people who just shove capital into businesses, don't often have the understanding to know what it's like to be, you know, hours away from not making payroll or, you know, to be making the biggest decision of your life and, you know, selling your business for, you know, $6 million or $10 million, you know, it's that, do I become a millionaire today and have cash in hand and maybe be able to do another business or do I wait and hold out for a bigger valuation? So that founder empathy has kind of been the biggest driving factor to me that, you know, I can either 
go on and pursue a career, you know, in operations, or, you know, I could jump back into investing and, and be doubly as good because I have that founder empathy. No, and I think that that definitely makes sense and resonates well. So now one question, it kind of jumps back in time, but thought I'd ask anyway, is so, you know, you you started out with Braghouse with the with the company that you're working with before you or before going full time. Now, how did they view that as to you going from a business that you got in, they introduced and were interested in to you working full time for that business and kind of leaving them? Was it a, hey, we think you do a great addition and it will help it increase our, you know, our investment? Or is it, hey, we don't want you to go or, you know, you shouldn't go because you have a non-competer kind of, how did they deal with, you know, you going from working with them to working with one of the businesses that they were, they were associated with? Right. No, I think in most cases, right, um, it's pretty typical for people who work in private equity to jump out and, uh, you know, pursue that executive level role um, at one of the portfolio companies, right? It's a very, very typical thing to do. Um, and from the from the private equity firm's perspective, right, you know, if they trust you enough to to do the due diligence, to make the investment in these companies, right, and to sit on the board, um, it only it only increases their uh, their trust or you know their trust in the business when one of their own is kind of at the helm, right? So you know they look on it very favorably, and you know we still have a great working relationship with them. Oh, that's awesome! Uh, that's great to hear. So, so that kind of brings us to where where you're at today, and a little bit of kind of the journey that got you there. If you're now kind of looking, uh, you know, six to 12 months in the future, and it's always a bit of a crystal ball, but where do you kind of see the next phase going or where do you see things headed for you? Yeah, from the, the business perspective or the personal perspective? We'll stay on the business, but uh, maybe the personal afterwards, but at least right now for the business. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, the uh, for me, this is probably the most exciting part is that, you know, we we were able to wrap up our Series A round of funding here. A couple of weeks ago, um, you know, we're able to partner with some phenomenal groups in Theseus Capital um, and Black Sheep Capital out of London, right? Um, you know, they've opened the doors to, you know, advisors, to strategic partners and things that we could never have dreamt of having, right? Um, and after, you know, wrapping up a very, very successful quarter with um, tournaments with McDonald's, with Coke, um, you know, we brought on some phenomenal clients and some big partnerships. And so, you know, the, the next step is, is an IPO for us. Um, you know, we've, we've engaged um, the needed firms necessary to take the company public on the NASDAQ next year. Um, you know, so for me as, you know, a finance person kind of being able to take the business to that next financial level, um, you know, and take it public on the, uh, on the NASDAQ is super exciting. So we're, we're all very optimistic about the trajectory and, you know, excited for that next large step in the business life cycle. Well, sounds like it'll be an exciting time. It's always, you know, bittersweet, hopefully mostly sweet to, to take something public. You know, you get to have that as a, see how it does in the public and how, what, what people will accept and what, you know, what they think of it and kind of get that outside valuation. As long as the, the IPO goes well, it's definitely a fun. If it uh, doesn't go as well, then you get a, you get a um, figure out how to readjust or to, to a pivot. So hopefully it's the former of it goes extremely well and it is definitely um, an, an exciting six or, or next uh, future period of time. So, yeah. Well, with that, now as we've kind of walked through a bit of your journey and also looking a bit into the future, kind of is a great time to transition to the two questions I always ask at the end of each podcast. So the first question I always ask is, 
Along your journey, what was the worst business decision you ever made and what'd you learn from it? Oh, that's a good question. The worst business decision I ever made. So I think the worst business decision I've ever made um, is stretching myself too thin. Um, you know, there, there have been times, um, you know, in, in various roles where I've taken on too much. Um, and, I, and, I, and I will say that that is the worst business decision I've made personally and for whatever company I've been working for because the quality of work just went down, right? The decisions weren't as good. The due diligence wasn't as detailed. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that oftentimes, like, it's good to take on more and more opportunity, um, but eventually it can become detrimental um, because you become, you become, to some extent, incoherent in the decisions you're making uh, because you're not really paying attention. So, yeah, I would say that there, there are definitely a few times I can remember stretching myself too thin and making poor decisions as a result of that. Well, and I think it's one where it's, I definitely get, agree that it's a mistake, but it's an easy one to make in the sense, no, I just want to get a little bit more done. I want to impress things. I need to get these projects done. I want to, you know, outshine the other people or whatever the motivation is. You, it's kind of a, a little bit of that death by a thousand cuts in the sense that you kind of incrementally stretch yourself a bit thinner and thinner to the point that now you're not able to give the highest quality or the best service or otherwise uh, or operate at the level you need to because you're having too many things you're stressed too thin and so I think it's a lesson to learn that you know there's definitely a time to hustle and get things done but you also have to make sure you do it in a way that it, you are able to continue sustainably operate at the level you need to so I think that's great great lesson to learn from now as we jump to the second question which is talking to somebody that's just getting into a startup or small business what'd be the one piece of advice you'd give them yeah, the, the, the one piece of advice I would probably give to somebody just starting out is uh, you have to be confident enough to not be the smartest person in the room. I think oftentimes um, there's a societal pressure to be the smartest person in the room, right? Some of that, uh, that imposter syndrome of, you know, hey, if, I, if I've got a lot of smart people around me, I'm not going to be able to lead them. Or, you know, it'll get out that, you know, I'm not as actually as qualified as I think I am. But at the end of the day, right, I, I don't really think that I'm the smartest person in the room most of the time. or definitely not the most qualified. Um, but I'm able to, to get in there, um, you know, to, to build relationships and to, you know, essentially glean um, from the expertise of those, those people around me, right? I can remember specifically, right? A couple of weeks ago, we were, we were on the phone with uh, the executive vice chair of a very, very large investment bank in New York. And, you know, I look at myself and I'm like, Hey, like I'm decently experienced at finance, but you know, this guy has spent 35 plus years kind of as a captain of industry. Right. And, you know, he brings in all these managing directors from the different groups and things, and they're sitting there giving us advice. And I'm just like, wow, like this is, uh, this is intense. But at the end of the day, right, like we were able to get so much value from that conversation um, because of the people we were able to, to bring together there. So yeah, I would just say that, you know, building a strong team and a strong network um, will take you much, much farther, right? There's, a, there's an adage, right? You can go faster alone, but further together, um, and I would definitely echo that, right? That it's, it's much, much easier to go much, much further um, if you build that, 
that great team around you. So that, that would be my advice to anyone getting started out in the entrepreneurial space. Oh, and I like that. I mean, I'm, I'm always of the opinion, if you're the smartest one in the room, you need to get smarter people around you in exactly. the sense that now, <laughs> you know, with the caveat, you can be the, the smartest in your given area of expertise or where you're at and, and knowing how the business operates, or maybe you are smartest in anyone niche, but you can, you know, see the whole picture and how it fits all together. But you should be surrounding yourself with within the areas that those people are working and they should be smarter than you now. You need to understand it and be able to, you know, be able to meld it all together and make sure it's executed properly. But I think to your point, I think having those smart people around that are going to be able to provide insights and information that you don't otherwise have is going to exponentially make your business better. Because otherwise, if you're always the one that's having all the ideas, driving everything and coming up with everything, it limits the business to just what you can add as opposed to what all those other smart people add. So I think that's a, a great takeaway and a great piece of advice. Well, as we wrap up, if people want to, they want to be a customer, a client, they want to be an employee, they want to be an investor, they want to be your next best friend, any or all of the above, what's the best way to reach out to you, contact you, find out more? Yeah, I mean, you guys can find us online. Our website's braghouse.com, right? I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter. So, you know, definitely reach out, um, you know, send a friend request on LinkedIn. Definitely happy to connect um, and discuss. Um, yeah. That's the, that's the best way to get in touch. All right. Well, I definitely encourage people to reach out, contact you, find out more. And uh, if nothing else, make a new best friend. So with that, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. It's been a fun, it's been a pleasure. Now, for all of you that are listeners, if you have your own journey to tell and you'd like to come on and be a guest, we'd love to have you. So just go to inventiveguest.com and apply to be on the podcast. Also, make sure to like, subscribe, and share um, the podcast with other with others so that uh, we can continue to promote the, the journeys of those that are the different journeys that people are taking and help out in the community. And last but not least, if you ever need help with patents, trademarks, or anything else with your business, feel free to reach out to us at Miller IP Law. Just go to strategymeeting.com. Well, thank you again, Joshua. This has been a fun. It's been a pleasure. And wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last. Appreciate it, Devin. Thanks.